0: Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we give you the praise and thank you so much for this day that we are celebrating the triumphal entry. And God, I thank you for these children. There will be no rocks crying out in our place this morning, Father, with these children leading us and worshiping you. We thank you, Father, and we praise you. And I pray that we may continue this idea of singing and praising you not just at the triumphal entry as we celebrate today, but at the trials as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now you go ahead and have a seat. Um, I heard Bob with his announcement, I appreciate him uh, kind of explaining why the bald guy is back up here again, <laughs> but I uh, um, appreciate him explaining that and when Jimmy called me, he said, uh, hey, hey, you may want to introduce yourself next time you're up there. I said, okay. He said, people thought you were, you were the new Jake Pertlebaugh. <laughs> I am not Jake. I'm just a lowly old sawyer at a limestone mill here, in, here in, in town. I served eight years at a church in Logansport, Indiana as a youth minister, and we moved down ellitzville and served five years as a youth minister at the ellitzville christian church and now i am right where god wants me to be working in the stone mill i don't know if you know this or not but there's a lot of ministry outside of this building there's a lot of mission fields outside this building and in this community i also probably should have given a disclaimer last sunday after my after the message if you were here or listened to it i spoke on God's grace and love is so much more than we have ever thought it, it, it was because it includes so much and so many people. I probably should have given a disclaimer, maybe even a warning at the end of the message that if you actually intend to live a life this past week and hopefully in the future of showing grace and love to the unlovable and the uh, callous and hard-hearted people around you, that God will put those people in your life starting Monday morning of last week, because he did with me. Thankfully, I have a couple friends at work that are Christians, and they and one was actually here last Sunday, and he kind of helped encourage me in that. And <laughs> he reminded me of what I just said the day before. But today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry. The sermon and worship are going to be just a little bit different today. I'm going to do a two-part message. Don't worry, they're, each of them is only 45 minutes long, so we'll be, we'll, you'll be fine. You'll be at Cracker Barrel before everyone else is. You might, they're changing their reservations back there. <laughs> no, no, we're just going to talk a little bit. But it is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to talk here for a few minutes, then I'm going to step off the stage and let the worship team come back up and lead us in worship. And after a couple songs, I'm going to come back up, and and issue sort of an invitation. But I'll explain that when when we get to it. The triumphal entry, when Jesus enters Jerusalem and allows the people to acknowledge Him as King, was in the Israelites' mind... um, A political overtake of the government. Remember last week when I said I believe in separation of church and state? This is actually kind of the opposite of that. Because back in that day, the Israelites were ready to establish their king as ruler over their enemies on this earth. But God's plans are usually and normally never our plans. And we are so thankful for that because if that was truly the case, that King Jesus was king of the Jews only, we would be in bed right now. We would not be here because we would have no hope because we are the Gentiles. And ever since God's promise to Abraham, the Israelites were told about a coming Messiah, a coming king, a ruler who would, who would, who would, who would put their enemies to ruin For thousands of years this went on. Prophets would prophesy to the people. They were your major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They are your minor prophets, Micah, Malachi. But all of them were pointing in the Old Testament, all of them were pointing to a coming king. All of them were pointing to a coming Messiah, a Savior who would save the people of Israel. 400 years there was silence in the Jerusalem camp. The prophets no longer spoke. There was no more prophecies about the coming Messiah. They call that time period the 400 years of silence. And then a wild man out in the desert started talking about the Lamb of God who's on his way. And Jesus enters the scene. God's timing is is very peculiar. He finally, after a couple thousand years, sends the Messiah. The plan is being manifested. God has become manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. So for a couple thousand years, the anticipation was there. It was there. It was building. It probably waned during that 400 years of silence. But then the Messiah is planted on this earth in a barn. And for about the first 30 years, the king of kings, the son of David, David the Messiah, worked construction. (laughs) And then God, in his communication with his son, said, it's time to begin your ministry. It's time to begin the plan. And this wasn't a thing where Jesus just sat idly by, waiting. He lived those first 30 years, probably in the construction business, preparing for those moments, because it was going to be a difficult few years that he was about to face. So Jesus, now rabbi, enters the scene, begins making some waves through Palestine he chose 12 men to follow him, to be his disciples. That was, that's what rabbis did. They chose young men, or chose, chose young uh, uh, boys to follow them, and then they would pass their knowledge, the rabbi would pass their knowledge down to these young men so that they could continue that rabbi's teaching. A lot of times a rabbi would be asked, Rabbi, the scriptures say this, but what do you say? That's why you see some of those uh, question, back and forth questions that a lot of the, the Pharisees had with Jesus. And so, Jesus had his disciples with him. They later become capital D disciples, and we, as followers of Christ, become lowercase d, disciples of Christ, followers of Christ. Jesus was obedient to God's timing, purpose, and plan. So much so that for 30 years, he did not reveal his godship. Jesus and the disciples were invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee, in John chapter two, and the host ran out of wine at the celebration, which in that culture was would have been a great embarrassment to him. It would have been kind of passed all around social media that he was ill prepared and that party was lame. Don't go back to his parties. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes to Jesus and she says, "Jesus, they're out of wine. You know, Tom's going to be embarrassed. He won't be able to live this down. You do something." And Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And what he meant was that the Son of God, the, the Messiah, would be made known to the people of Israel by the miracles that he would do. And so when Jesus said, it's not my time, it's not time yet, what he's saying is, I'm not supposed to be revealed through these miracles just yet. Mary, the mother of Jesus, at that moment reminds me of Marie Barone on Everybody Loves Raymond. The only person who got away with not listening to Jesus, as he told her that, she says, okay, okay, Jesus. Hey, hey, servants, come here. Here, here, this is my son. Do whatever he tells you, okay? We're going to make this right. And as we know, Jesus turned the water into wine, the first miracle. Throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, there's recordings of Jesus healing people, giving them sight. Uh, healing the the scars of leprosy and many times he told the person that he healed don't tell anyone what just happened to you just go to the priest show yourself as clean and and go through the ritual to become ceremonially clean so you may go and pray in the temple but jesus kept would tell them don't tell anyone i always wondered did he get mad when when they went and told someone because inevitably they all did because they were so excited In Matthew chapter 17, is the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are taken with Jesus up on top of this mountain, and Moses and Elijah come down, and they hear God's voice, and it's it's, it's quite the spectacular event. And on the way back as they descended the hill, Jesus said to the three men, his, his closest friends and the disciples, he said, don't tell anyone about this until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. In John chapter 6, there's this recording of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And when the people were there, and they got their bellies filled up by the greatest caterer in the history of the world, and Jesus performed miracles of healing, they saw what he was doing, and the wheels began to turn their minds, and they realized this this could be him. This could be our, our Messiah. And so the people wanted to make Jesus king of Israel by force and at that moment Jesus knowing their thoughts and knowing their intentions removed himself to a secluded area so that wouldn't happen because it wasn't time yet now fast forward a little bit later to Mark chapter 11 verses 1 through 11 that the children read earlier it is now the triumphal entry Jesus has opened the gates and have has allowed the people to praise him as king and he enters into jerusalem the capital of israel as the king of the jews and as as we know this story the the people sang and shouted hosanna in the highest they sang praises to him that their messiah their king after all this time of anticipation is finally here and they sang praises to him. They laid down their cloaks and their, 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 their branches off of trees and so that the, the donkey could ride in on it. Which is interesting that it wasn't a, a great steed but a lowly old donkey. That's actually symbolic. And Jesus allowed the people to praise him as their king. It is finally time His time had come. I've titled this message, Praise Him in the Trials and the Triumphal Entries. The people are praising God at this triumphal entry. We praise God for our triumphs in our own life, don't we? We praise God when things are going right. When we get the job, we praise Him. When the tumor is benign, we praise Him. We praise Him when these these moments that happen that make us feel good and we should we absolutely should because it's a testimony to God's provision over his people I really like watching the UFC I like MMA and last night was a big pay-per-view fight I was wanting to watch it but this is uh, obviously a priority but the, the ring announcer for the UFC's name is Michael Buffer, and he does a great job of getting the crowd and the fighters, everyone, the people at home paying way too much money to watch this, uh, getting them all excited. And when the main event is there, when the big headlining warriors are in the cage, he gets on that mic and he says, it's time. And then he announces the, the, the champion and he announces the challenger. And it's time. The worship team is going to come out right now. I'm done with part one. <laughs> just 45 minutes. To, no, just kidding. The worship team is going to come back out here. But it's time to praise him. It's, it's time to lift him up. It's time to come together as a body, worshiping the king of Israel. And all of us here today have been grafted into that, that family tree. We are all sons and daughters of Abraham. We are all members of the true nation of Israel. So this day we celebrate the Israelites praising God. Rewind a thousand years to the great exodus where Moses led the people of God out of slavery, out of bondage, into freedom. And so the Jews as they left, the Israelites as they left, egypt were celebrating and singing and praising god for their deliverance and they paraded and they they celebrated all the way out until god led them to the red sea and they thought hey this isn't too bad maybe wet a line see if the fish are biting and then all of a sudden they heard a roar and a rumble for god had hardened pharaoh's heart once more even after all the plagues, Pharaoh still's, Pharaoh's heart was still hardened. And Pharaoh said, these people are not getting away from us. We're going to get them. And so he rallied his entire army and barreled down on the, on the Hebrews and pinched them in against the Red Sea. And all that singing and dancing at the triumphal exodus turned into mourning and wailing and crying out to Moses and crying out to God. Why would you bring us out here, Moses? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? This is what we told you when we were in Egypt. We just want to stay here. We'd rather be slaves, abused, in bondage, than be out here and and pinched in and have some hope, and all of a sudden that hope be dashed by this army in this sea. And so Moses, after hearing the cries of the people, cried out to God, and God said, why are you crying to me, Moses? What was the plan? My plan was to, was to free my people. Was to get them out of bondage. I am not a God who takes someone out of slavery and bondage, whether it's real physical bondage and slavery or slavery to fear and slavery to sin. My, my, my plan is not to take them out there just to pinch them in against another point of bondage. So God told Moses, and you know this story from Exodus chapter 14, he said, take your staff, Moses, raise it and put it in the water. And as Moses did that, by faith, God came down and the wind blew and the waters separated and parted, and God showed grace to the people of Israel. God sent a, a wall of fire and flames to the flanks of the people of Israel to protect them from Pharaoh's army. And Pharaoh's army was no longer able to pursue the Israelites because God had put a wall against them. And so the Israelites, in fear and, and, and out of just this, this moment of hopelessness, reluctantly begin to step down onto dry ground that was once covered in feet of water. And the Israelites walk across the old, the young, the families, the donkeys, the wagons, the, the 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 trains, everything, the carts, all crossed the Red Sea. And as they crossed the Red Sea through the night, and the next morning the sun came up, Pharaoh said, That's it. The, the fire was lifted, got it lifted the fire. Pharaoh saw that the people had escaped, and he saw by what means they had escaped. And even though Pharaoh was filled with awe, he wasn't filled with enough awe to revere and to fear the Lord. For he sent his army into that open, dry sea to pursue the Israelites. And as the Israelites crossed over and made it to dry ground on the other side of the sea, God said, Moses, turn around and put your staff back in the water. And as he did, those walls of water crashed down on the Pharaoh's army, destroying them all. On the one side of the sea, the Israelites cried out and wailed. But after God delivered them, they had a new song to sing. Exodus chapter 14, verse 30 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Israel saw the great power of the Lord and feared the Lord, revered the Lord, and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And chapter 15, It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. And their song goes on. The Israelites had the right song, but sang it on the wrong side of the lake. God needs his people to praise him in the trials just as much as we praise him in the triumphs. When the nation of Israel was being taken in back into bondage because the people of Israel were obedient to God, the Babylonians who captured them, were taking them into bondage. And the Babylonians, as the people of Israel are walking back into slavery for their disobedience, they're like, wait a minute, aren't you that people that sing? Aren't you the people that dance in celebration of your God? Dance for us. Sing for us, Israelites. But how could they sing? They're going back into captivity, and they had no song to sing. That's found in Psalm 137. It is very difficult to praise God in the trials, isn't it? I think we, we pray for hope at that time. I think we come here on a Sunday morning, maybe right at this moment, and we sit here, and we have a, an event, a situation in our life that makes it very difficult to sing. I get that, because I've been that way. The world around us Needs to see the Church of Jesus Christ singing and praising God in the trials. We're, we're going to sing one more song. You ever just feel like a honeybee for no reason? I don't. <laughs> I don't know why that. I feel like a honeybee all of a sudden. And I don't know why I strutted like that. I don't think honey be a strut. <laughs> I like it. It's pretty cool. This last song we're going to sing is called Graves in the Gardens. Verse 2 says, I am not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all. And you still call me friend. Because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. I don't know if you know this or not, but for the past 12 to 14 months, our nation and our world have been in the valley. I'm going to have a little rebuke here, and this is meant to step on some toes because I have had my toes stepped on with the same thought. I'm afraid there's a lot of... Christians that have failed to sing praises to God during these trials and have some come to a spirit of fear I think it's time that the church every single person in this room who can hear my voice or out there on the interweb or wherever that we finally at this moment praise God in this trial the world your family some in my family need to see that need to hear us singing praises in the trials not just in the triumphs anyone can do that even heathens may do that and we believe that God turns graves into gardens of life I think God needs us to sing praises at the gravesite not just in the garden. Because when your family and your friends see you standing in the gloomy grave of the situation you are in, and yet you're praising God, they are going to ask why. And as you praise God in the grave, you could lead your your family member, a son, a daughter, a parent, a friend, from that grave a luscious green garden of life folks that's eternal life the jews wanted an earthly king god's plan was to have a heavenly king we've all been grafted into the nation of israel we all we are all sons and daughters of abraham as we sing this song remember to use this time to sing praises and if you are in a trial And it may be difficult for you. You may just need to talk to someone. I'll be right here. Please come talk to me. But praise God in the graves. We believe that he will turn those into gardens. We believe he'll turn bones into armies. And make beauty from ashes. And if you're in a trial at this moment, praise him. As difficult as it may be, praise him. And you may not even utter a word. Nothing may come out of your mouth. But if you allow God to change your heart from hopelessness to hope, that is praising Him in a moment of trial.